Welcome to K-Drama School Podcast. I'm your host, Grace Jung. I'm a stand-up comedian living in Los Angeles, and I am a PhD candidate in Cinema Media Studies at UCLA, and uh, I'll be graduating in six months from now. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I specialize in Korean TV studies, among other things, like Asian American media history, uh, gender studies, sexuality studies, and industry studies. Uh, but enough about me. Let me now introduce you to my trusty sidekick, who is a comedian originally from Argentina, and she is currently based in Berlin. Uh, please uh, welcome Julieta de Geze. Hi, Julieta. Oh, hi. Thanks for the clapping. Oh, my God. What an audience. Uh, thank you so much. I don't have so many uh, degrees as you. I just sell dildos at a store. <laughs> it's a very honest job. It's an honest. You know, someone has to do it. <laughs> it's Christmas. Someone has to sell it. <laughs> Wait, what are you going to do now? What, what's, so that, what's that's what I'm. This is what I'm doing now. This is what I'm doing. I'm putting my <laughs> degree into a podcast yes so i know that there are some other great uh k-drama podcasts out there but this is the only podcast on korean dramas that you're gonna get where the host has a phd in cinema media studies yeah you know there's a whole i heard of people it's like where is my podcast with a phd person you know i heard a lot i heard yeah i, I think the audience for this is going to be enormous <laughs> Yeah. Thank you. I, I appreciate your belief in me. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. So let me get into the concept of this podcast. The concept is that I talk about a specific Korean drama from start to finish in every episode of this podcast. In each episode, you're gonna, I'm going to be talking about a new Korean drama. And I do a deep dive textual analysis of, of every show. And I'm going to be contextualizing that show in terms of its cultural significance, historical significance, and and whatever else, phenomenological significance, whatever else. And uh, the things that I share will be coming from my own personal experience because I grew up uh, on a steady diet of Korean TV shows, including like variety shows, sitcoms, and serialized dramas since like the early 1990s. And I'm actually, I'm a Korean born Korean American. I was born in Korea and I immigrated to the States uh, when I was, when I was very young. So I'm going to be integrating a lot of that other other cultural context from my own life, which uh, I mean, maybe you get from some some of the podcasts, but maybe you don't. You most likely don't. So my doctoral dissertation is uh, it's an industry study on the Korean variety show. Um, and I look at masculinity, queerness and nationalism. Doesn't that sound enticing? And so the papers I'm currently writing on, they are about Korean dramas, and I hope that the the papers will eventually become my second book after my dissertation gets published. So you can say that I know some things about Korean dramas, okay? Right? And uh, I will tell you right off the bat, spoiler alert, like major spoiler alert. Every single episode of this podcast will contain spoilers because I'll be covering one entire Korean TV show from beginning to end, okay? And I'll be covering serialized narrative TV shows, not documentaries, not variety shows, not Korean film, okay? I'm concentrating on mini-series, Korean mini-series, all right? So I'll be covering all 16 or 20 or 24 episodes, however many there are, okay? So uh, please follow along 
to this podcast after you've seen the show, or if you just want to listen to this podcast without ever watching the show. Either way, it's fine. Either way, it's going to be entertaining. It's going to be enticing. It's going to be interesting. All right. And I I know that plenty of you listeners out here, out there, you've seen, you've binge watched Korean dramas throughout this pandemic, even before, even before the pandemic, you've been binging. On K-dramas, on Netflix, on Hulu, on Viki, on Drama Fever. Rest in peace, Drama Fever. All right? You've been streaming them for the last decade at least. Okay? So welcome to K-drama school and class is now in session. So today's K-drama is a hit show called Sky Castle, came out in 2018, and it's written by Yu Hyunmi, and Sky Castle is Yu Hyunmi's first cable TV drama. Before this, her work was mostly picked up by public and commercial broadcasters, and Yu Hyunmi has another JTBC drama coming out this year uh, called Snowdrop or Seolganghwa, star- starring the very attractive, I love this guy, very attractive Jung Hain and Blackpink member Kim Jisoo. It's very, very exciting stuff. And so uh, Yu Hyunmi's script is going to be held by director Cho Hyun-tak, who she collaborated with for Sky Castle. And I think, I think that's something to look forward to. So Sky Castle is one of the few TV dramas that I got to see from the beginning to like almost to the end. Uh, because it was airing while I was in Korea. I happened to be in Korea at the time. I was in Seoul in the late in late 2018, and I was conducting field work for my dissertation. And I just so happened to be watching JTBC at the time when this first episode started playing. And oh my god, like the fir- like the pilot episode. I mean, at first I was like, okay, like what is this? Like okay, whatever. And then, like, the ending of that pilot episode was so intense. Like, a woman takes a shotgun and blows her head off in the pilot episode. I know. It's very high stakes. I was like, what? Oh, my God. Huh? Is it like she, you can see her, like, shadow doing that? Or you can see the whole thing happening? You don't see the whole thing. You just, you see a close-up of her face looking very distressed. And she puts the gun under her chin. And then you hear a loud bang. It's like, it's awful. Uh, but I remember like yelling, like in my apartment. I was just like, oh my God. I had a friend staying with me at the time and she like ran out of the bathroom like, what, what, what happened? And I was like, I, can, I can't, this is so intense. This drama became number one, like the highest rated drama of its time. And it only recently, like this year, it got beat. It, it got beat by uh, this other JTBC drama. But like Sky Castle is number two highest rated cable TV series as of December 2020. So um, like the show starts out with this lavish opulence. Sky Castle is a name of a rich townhouse. It's a neighborhood of upper middle class mothers who happen to all be married to doctors. They're all married to doctors. And 
everybody's a helicopter parent to their high school children. But as the show progresses, you start to see all the dirt, obviously, right? Like that's the juice, right? Like a woman blowing her head off. Like that's come on, like what's going on? And like, People who celebrate their kids' acceptance to get into great schools, they all end up killing themselves or driving their parents to suicide or committing suicide. It's it's intense. So, like, as of now, like, a lot of K-drama fanatics, you would know, especially in romance dramas, for the most part, like, the virtuous good girl, right? She gets the rich guy. They live happily ever after. And I say nowadays because not all romantic Korean dramas had that ending. In fact, a lot of Korean dramas, like, you know, maybe 20 years ago, a little more, they used to kill off the virtuous good girl. She would always get cancer and she would die, you know, after going through a horrible time, like all these struggles, they would kill her off at the end. It was awful. But like in the case with uh, Sky Castle, imagine this. Imagine if the evil girl got the rich guy, married him, and then had a couple of kids with him. And then imagine if the evil girl is now the protagonist of the show as the mother who is obsessed with restoring her honor, title, wants recognition from her husband and her in-laws, and she's grooming her children into becoming the next generation of doctors for the family. And imagine that this evil girl hid her real identity as a poor working class girl with an alcoholic father, misogynistic family members. Just imagine that. Okay, and she just lied her way into marriage with this doctor guy with like a horrible rich mother. Everybody at Sky Castle, all they want, they all want three generations of doctors, right? It's like they're the, the, like the mother is like their father-in-law was a doctor. Their current husband is a doctor and they want their children to become a doctor. It's like the three generation of doctors is like the key goal here. It's the obsession with this people and nobody knows why. That's the fucked up thing. Nobody knows if being a medical professional is even their passion. Nobody cares, okay? In fact, there's this one scene when a chief of surgeon asks one of the residents why he became a doctor, and then the resident replies, because my mom told me to. It's so sad. It's so sad. This encapsulates the thesis statement of this show, right? Striving for the highest goals in life, but without knowing why. It's an empty pursuit just because someone says it's the best thing to be. And so the show acts as a very sharp critique of codependent parent-children relationships. And it's also a critique of Korea's, uh, Korean society's hyper-competitiveness and uses middle-aged women and their children as tools to present that, which I found very unique. Um, especially because like all these, all the protagonists of the show are middle-aged women. You know, they hired a lot of middle-aged actresses, which is very rare, honestly. Um, and yet it became the highest rated cable TV series of all time. And so the protagonist of this show is played by uh, Yeom Jung-ha. Uh, she plays a woman named Ha Seo-jin, who is an educated, uh, an education-obsessed mother. And she has two daughters. And she has one in high school, the other one's in middle school. And Seo-jin is obsessed with her high school daughter, Yeza's education. Her entire life goal is to get her daughter, Yeza, into Seoul National Medical School. That's it. That's it. And Yeza, her daughter, is a nightmare. She's a nightmare of a brat. Oh my gosh. She's extremely self-centered, driven, ambitious, has no friends, of course, because she's obsessed with getting the right answers every time over everybody else. You know those people, right, Julieta? You've done improv before, right? Yeah, all oh, those people. Yes, Anne. Oh, what a, what a pain there. <laughs> so Sajin hires an education coordinator. They call her Kodi for short. And... Uh, the this coordinator, this teacher is named Kim Chu Young, 
who has this stellar record of getting high school students admitted into medical school. And all the rich moms are obsessed with hiring her because she's very exclusive. She only takes on two students at a time. Her fees cost up to millions of dollars. And this woman, Kim Ji-young, trains and monitors Yeza's study habits and schooling like a hawk. She gives advice on the temperature of the desk, temperature of the room. She tells Sojin to take down any stupid paintings off the wall from her daughter's room and just put up a painting of Mondrian to help stimulate her mind. Kim Ji-young trains Yeza and mentors her in this meditation room. But like really what she's doing is poisoning her with um, hyper-competitiveness and manipulates this young high school girl's inferiority complex and greed to make her even more driven. So now Yeza has this rival in her school. Uh, the rival girl's name is Hina, and Hina comes from a really poor background, okay? Born to a single mother. The mother dies of illness, and Hina finds out that Yeza's doctor dad is actually her dad. Oh! So this is where shit gets juicy, exactly. So, and, 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 and Yeza's dad doesn't know that Hina is his daughter for, for most of the show. And so Yeza's younger sister, who's in middle school, uh, her younger sister's name is Yebin, um, she starts taking a liking to Hina and then asks her mom, Sojin, if she could be her tutor. So Hina moves in with the family. And Hina's goal is to take down Yeza who is overly privileged, gets a lot of help for her studies, but is ultimately inferior to Hina, okay? And when Yeza's performance starts to debilitate because she can't get over her hateful obsession with Hina, Kim Ji-young cheats and then gives the exam questions to Yeza in advance. And then Hina finds out about this and starts, you know, threatening Kim Ji-young with ex exposing her. And then uh, Kim Ji-young fucking kills Hina. She kills her. What I love about Sky Castle is the music. The theme song, We All Lie, is sung by Hajin. And the lyrics are very cheesy. Oh my gosh. But the song slaps. So the other thing I love about this show is the fact that it's not a romantic drama. Like, of course, I love romantic dramas as much as we all do, but, like, we'll get into those in the later episodes. But this particular drama, it's about parental obsession with their children and parents using their children as vehicles to confirm their egos. There's a small ceramic sculpture of a mother holding her child very close to her, like, close to her face, like, holding her like this, face and chest, and it looks, the, the ceramic sculpture looks very phallic, actually. And symbolically, I thought it was a really brilliant inclusion because um, while a mother and child are not necessarily phallic, uh, in order to attain power in any patriarchal society, historically, women in that society had to give birth to children. They typically had to give birth to sons to carry on the name. And in modern day, of course, having a son or a daughter in Korea, like Korea will take any child especially because the nation's birth rate has been in a decline for about 10 years now, and the government's freaking out over this. It's a very dangerous psychological game to put all your personal eggs into one basket and making that basket your child. That's quite literally how you create problems for your kid and for yourself and for everybody in your family and your social circle. So the show's critique of this hyper-competitive Korean society 
uh, and it's very high suicide rate also, you know, like, like Korea has the, one of the highest suicide rates in the world. And the country's been dealing with low birth rate, extremely competitive job market, working hours are very high, rate of satisfaction and happiness in Korea is very low, and yet working pressure and school pressures are extremely high. So of course, like suicide rates, of course they would be high. So let me give you like an anecdotal example and some background. Um, I was born in Busan, in Busan, uh, Busan, South Korea, and my parents and I moved to Brooklyn when I was five. And we were undocumented citizens for almost 12 years until I finally got my green cards and my father became a naturalized citizen for like just two weeks before my 18th birthday. So I couldn't visit my home country or see anybody in my family for like close to 13 years. And ever since I got my U.S. passport, I try to visit my relatives every couple of years. And whenever I go, I stay with my aunts, uncles or cousins. And I'll tell you this, the adults who work, they work like six days out of the week. They go to work every day, very early in the morning, and they don't come home until very late at night. The kids, they wake up very early to go to school. And then I don't see them until very late at night. And this was the case for pretty much every single relative of mine. So I spent most of my time with the stay-at-home moms, you know, whether they were my aunts or cousins. And the rest, I hardly ever saw them, okay? I only saw them, like, on holidays or Sundays for dinner. Yes. So living in Korea is similar, actually, is similar to living in New York. Like, you need to really work in order to live. And it's... Only in recent years that Korean President Moon Jae-in limited Korea's working hours and reduced it, reduced it down to 52 hours per week, which is still relatively a lot. Because everyone's like doing 40, 52, is it like? Exactly. Like 40 would be typical. And yet 52 hours is what they reduced it to, saying that the working hours were inhumane. So, so and they only did that like about two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So I was so complaining or like, well, yeah, of course people were complaining. People were killing themselves. I mean, that's a, that's a big complaint. Wouldn't you say that's a grievance, right? Off like jumping off a bridge, offing yourself. Right. So I want to talk briefly about some of the transgressive characters on this show, the ones who express rebellion. And my absolute favorite character on the show is Yebin. Unlike her school obsessed older sister, Yezha, Yebin has a mind and a mouth of her own, and she stands out as one of, one of the very few people at Sky Castle who doesn't buy into this com- hyper-competitive, egomaniacal ritual of overstudying and kissing ass. She, has, she wants nothing to do with that, and she does a lot of calling out throughout the show, which is so refreshing. But she also harbors some pain of neglect because her overdriven mother is mostly concentrating her attention onto her older sister, Yebin. I mean, uh, Yeza. And Yeza, you know, her dream is to get into Seoul National Medical School, and her mother's dream is the same. So Yebin is somewhat neglected and expresses uh, some, some painful rebellion a little bit in the show. Um, another thing about this show is the representation of disability. Uh, which is a little bit sad. Like, the teacher uh, of this show, Kim Ji-young, the reason why she's so fucked up is because she has a history of her own. So she was a she herself was um, a very brilliant uh, person, but she has this inferiority complex with a nemesis. And uh, she gives birth to her own daughter, and her daughter turns out to be a prodigy, like an eight-year-old who gets into college, right? As an elementary school student, she gets into college in America and and, and is like, 
in in a in school full of like white kids who are like ten years older than her, than herself. So imagine the pressure, uh, but the brilliance too. And unfortunately, this prodigy daughter becomes mentally disabled after suffering a head injury in a car accident, which Kim Ji Young caused. Um, tr- so Kim Ji Young was trying to kill her husband off, uh, who wanted to take her daughter away. Um, I I read about. I read about the actress who plays Kay, the Catherine on this show, the the mentally disabled child of Kim Ji Young, and uh, the actress's name is Cho Minya, and she gained forty pounds, eighteen kilograms, in order to portray Kay. And like Kay is found like scribbling on a window, and she's like in this clear um, window encasement of this really very modern building where like. Kim Ji-young keeps her daughter in and it's like a freak show put on display which is really sad and you see Kay scribbling math equations obsessively and aimlessly on the window it's like very like a beautiful mind-esque and um you know like I I found this you know very like allegorical uh and similar to how the children and parents on this show are obsessed with studying aimlessly, you know, like the way Kay is scribbling aimlessly and obsessively, right? Like the parents are also obsessed and aimless in their in their desire to get their children into just one box, into medical school. So I thought it was just a, a really great allegorical embodiment. Uh, but I did find the depiction of mental disability a little bit disappointing on this show. Um, the music and mise-en-scene, huh? It was not a good portray of like what mentalism is. Yeah, like especially like the music and like the mise en scene. It would very frequently portray Kay as very menacing and frightening, and somebody to be kept at a distance. And I found that a bit unfortunate. I mean, later in the last episode, there's this there's some redemptive qualities, but it's like I mean, who cares? You know, like for like 19 episodes you know Kay was shown um in a very uh poor light so the show does a good job at capturing Kim Ji-young's anxiety and shame and regret at the sight of her disabled daughter but I do find that frequency of this portrayal as of a mentally disabled person a little bit problematic but it's interesting how this character Kay's brilliance is also shown in the form of disability Right, like a kept child who's trapped because of the mistakes her parents made. So the kicker is that Kim Ji Young has been like, Kim Ji Young has been the one behind all the deaths and, and suicides of these other children, other families' children, by manipulating their minds and emotions and creating strife between families. And as entertaining as this plotline is, the fact is like, you know, the fact is, in Korean society, there's no one teacher who's destroying people's lives and families. Right, like it's just that's not an apt place to place blame because you know, and and of course this is a TV show, right? Let's not forget because the fact is the capitalist system uh, is what drives people to become obsessed with image, status, and money. Okay, like in in any capitalist society, the people, the one percent, anybody who's at the, at the top, the upper echelons, they're the ones that are obsessed with these three things: image, status, and money. And these ego-driven aspirations are what people are driven to despair with, and that's that's sort of the the moral, the moral plot of the show. The I mean the moral element of, of the show. There's this scholar Josiah Gabriel Hunt who uh, who holds a PhD um, in education, 
and he published a paper on South Korean students' suicide mortality. He published this in 2015, so a, a, a few years before Sky Castle started to air. Uh, and in that paper, he writes that 97% of Koreans have gone to high school. They have a high school education. But not too long ago, that number used to be less than 5% of the population. So imagine, like, that, that jump is extraordinarily high. Of the 97% of that high school educated Korean population, 80% go to college. That is, that is a very high number. And so Hunt says that South Korea has become, and quote unquote, I put this in quote, one of the developed world's most violent against one's self. Okay, because students who commit suicide in Korea, they're as young as nine years old. And it's the leading cause of death of individuals between nine and 24. Suicide is the leading cause of death. And Korea's got one of the highest suicide rates in the world, as I said. And they've been holding this terrible record for many years now, for a very long time. And Hunt argues that the pressure placed on students to get to get into the top three universities, okay? So Seoul National University, Korea University, Yonsei, which is what SKY is, is the acronym for, those, those three schools. The top three universities, that's the marker of success that builds pressure. And when students don't get into these schools, they feel like a failure and they commit suicide, okay? So Hunt calls Korea this quote-unquote face-saving society, um, again, there's this emphasis on image and status, as we mentioned. And education in South Korea is part of what makes this country one of the, the top world economies today. But, you know, it's it comes at a price, right? And it's also, it's very shocking compared to what Korea was like just a few decades ago. Just a few decades ago, Korea was nothing like this. You know, Korea was war-torn, you know, less than 100 years ago. So Hunt claims that Korea's reached a state of unhealthy quote-unquote, education obsession. And if you think about what high-pressure studying involves, right, it often involves lack of sleep, especially in old-school Korean TV, like getting a nosebleed while studying, okay? This was fetishized as a good thing, something to brag about, you know? It was an indication that one is studying a lot. But the fact is, when the brain doesn't get sleep regularly, it suffers, the body suffers, and that leads to all kinds of mental and emotional problems. You know? And this could be a contributor of suicides, lack of sleep. It could be as simple as that, lack of sleep. That's why they're reducing work hours, you know, down to 52. Of course, it should be. I think, I, I mean, I don't want to, but maybe like a good nap, like between, <laughs> between reads, like just like Spain does it, just have from one to five, like nap time. <laughs> one to five, a four hour nap? Well, yeah, you have to, yeah, because you, you, you quit work, like you stop work, then you go home, you have a little like snack, then you watch a little, like, <laughs> like a I don't siesta, know, like, like, a, yeah, like the siesta is a whole thing. It's not just the siesta. It's like a whole ritual. It's a part of embedded culture in Spain and in Latin America. Eh? Yeah, that's why we have very poor, like economic, you know, like our <laughs> economy is always very bad. I do blame siesta for it. <laughs> it's not because... It's not because politicians are corrupt. It's just a siesta. But, but maybe for Korea, it's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, Korea needs a, a little siesta. I agree. I genuinely agree. Because when the body's not well rested, it's not healthy. And it's not functioning, it's not functioning optimally. So I feel like this needs correcting. 
right? Uh, but this correction, it can't take place in isolation, right? Reducing work hours to 52 a week is one thing, but changing the overall mindset in Korea, in Korean society, that needs to take place too. So I feel like what you're saying about the siesta thing is, is quite relevant. I do. And um, obsessively and unhappily working doesn't necessarily lead to a happy and fulfilled life. I feel like that's another moral element that this show has. So um, this has been shown in Korea time and time again, you know, for many years now, right? Like, pe a lot of people don't know this, but one of the daughters of Samsung, she was a student at NYU and she, she committed suicide, you know? Like, think about it. one of the wealthiest, right? Like, the, one of the wealthiest people in the country, hurls herself off a building because of her, her unhappiness and her psychological despair. Think about that. So, um, this is a, a very this is a very subtle critique in Sky Castle, but another critique that it has is um, the fact that Yezho's family, they're Christian, okay. And there's a, a book by William E. Connolly called Capitalism and Christianity American Style, and philosophers and scholars for many years, they've been writing about how well Christianity fits in with capitalism. They're like, they're like, you know, two peas in a pod. And think about Genesis in the Bible, you know, like in Genesis, the punishment placed on Adam after he, you know, betrays God by eating the, the fruit, the knowledge of good and evil. God says, you will suffer in order to eat for the rest of your life. For the rest of your day. So that's the curse that God places on mankind by saying you need to work in order to live. And um, the idea of reaping what you sow, right? Like this isn't just about like somebody getting their just desserts. It's also, you know, it comes up a lot in the Bible. It's also about a very literal qualifying of capitalism. You reap only what you sow, okay? So hard work is normalized. In the Christian doctrine, reaping what you're sowing is normalized. And what Sky Castle doesn't question is, uh, of course, the problem of the larger system. But the small hints dropped on, like, you know, the, through the mise-en-scene, like Yeso's family being Christian, uh, Youngja's family. The Youngja's family is um, the mother who shoots herself through the head. <laughs> um, she's Youngja's mom. Yeah, their family's also Christian. And these are very, this is very subtle, but it's visible in the mise-en-scene, if you observe carefully. On the other hand, if you think about the other major religion in Korea, think about what Buddhism teaches us. Being a being is lovable. And it's not based on what you achieve, but simply because you are. You know, you are a being and therefore you're lovable. It has nothing to do with um, achievements or, or any of that. Because Buddhism, it accepts imperfection. It accepts rest peace, mindfulness, okay? And in Korea today, the majority of the population, they have no religion at all, okay? But the other two majority are Christians and Buddhists. It's split almost evenly, okay? Um, but the number of Christians continue to grow every year, okay? So there's less mindfulness practice in, in Korea. And I grew up Protestant, okay? My maternal side of the family are Buddhist. My grandmother's Buddhist. My, a lot of my aunts are Buddhist, but I was raised Christian. I don't know why. <laughs> Like, they were like, they were like, fuck you over. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> I, I made a lot of friends, you know, while going to church with my parents as a child. But I was also, like, I also really hated going to church throughout my adolescent years because of this constant comparison I was subject to. 
you know, like, oh, so-and-so studies so well, you know, so-and-so got a really high score on the SATs, so-and-so got into a really great college. I fucking hated that noise, okay? And I went to church every single week, twice a week, every Friday, every Sunday for like 13 years straight. That's all we did. And I, I don't personally think there's anything inherently wrong with Christianity, okay? I don't, I don't think any religion is wrong. But over the years, over the two decades that I spent attending church, I did find it to be a very toxic space, you know, because like, yeah, like I, I just, I really hated all, all that, all that talk, all that noise when I, when I went to church as a, you know, elementary student, you know, middle school student, high school, like throughout all those years, that's all they ever did is compare students and make them feel like crap. So like that's sort of the reason why I'm returning to my indigenous roots and studying Buddhism again and trying to reconnect with my aunt and my grandmother. It's like a method of also practicing decoloniality, okay? Because let's not forget that Christianity, it's a Western religion, okay? And it's often used as a vehicle for colonial and neo-colonial purposes. That's a fact, okay? South Korea is a, neo is a neo-colony to, to the U.S. So my return to Buddhism is not just a way to heal from some of the strains and um, tensions that I've dealt with going to a Korean-American church, but it's also a way to rebuild my relationships with relatives, okay? And I was, I was pretty much encouraged to write them off because at church, I was taught to look down on anyone else who wasn't a Christian, okay? You know, like, I feel like, like, you know, church does that. It says if they're not Christian, they're inferior. They're doomed to burn in hell. They're not saved. They're heathens. But the fact is, like, I became an atheist at age 22. And, you know, even up until, like, very recently, I felt very spiritually bankrupt. Okay? Because, you know, Christianity is a religion, but it's also a way to, like, nurture your spirituality. And when I was going to temple with my aunt whenever I visited Korea, or, like, reconnecting with my Eastern religion and roots, that made me feel more whole and nourished, you know, and it, and it opened up some, some ways of possibility for me. And, um, quite frankly, Buddhism gives me a sense of peace and hope that I was never able to attain as a Christian. Okay. And a church, because that space just taught me more about greed, contention, conflict. There was a lot of trauma, like physical abuse, you know, mental and emotional abuse. That was that was always happening at church for me throughout the years I was growing up. So a spiritual house, right, I think is a place where the, the soul goes to rest. But, um, you know, at church, you know, all I, my soul, all it, all it suffered was more school-related competition and egos and all of that. And I really didn't like it. And as soon as I got away from church, okay, like, you know, I started to sort of depart from church when I was in college, uh, my focus... Uh, my studies improved, okay? And I excelled in college. I got a Fulbright. I translated books, wrote books. I'm finishing up my doctorate now. So just, I'm, I'm just saying, like, this is what works for me personally. Again, I'm not saying that, you know, people shouldn't be Christian. I'm just, I'm just critiquing uh, that Christianity and capitalism work hand in hand and that there's a, a pattern, there's a trend. And this is something that sociologists study. A lot of people study this, so. In any high school, like, I didn't learn anything about this culture when I was like learning about the world, let's say. So if you really want to know, you have to like have some, um, um, you, want, you, you need to like figure it out by yourself because no one is going yeah. to teach you. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good point. Like you have to, you have to make effort to 
learn things, to dig deep and, and, and learn about things. And I think um, that comes, you know, th- I feel like that's purposeful living, right? Like that, that is you trying to know more about yourself and how you fit in with the world. And I think, I think that's, that's something to learn about. So I, I feel like those kinds of questions are good questions, right? Like if you're a student and you're feeling pressured to succeed, Right. I think asking yourself first, like, what are your stakes in pursuing an education? Why? Why do you want to learn? Right. Not not what do you want to be, but what do you want to learn? And then what do you want to do with your education? Again, I'm not asking what do you want to be? I'm asking what do you want to do with your education? What seems purposeful and what brings you joy in life? I think those are important questions to start asking, especially if you're in high school and college and, and, and whatever point in life you are, where you're at and, and you're just starting to like come into this instead of just rote learning and doing something because somebody else tells you to do it, really ask yourself with intent, what is this all about? What am I all about? And in church, like when I was a kid, everybody kept telling everybody to go and be a pharmacist, like they they weren't they weren't even that ambitious actually this was like a b grade church they weren't like go be a doctor and a lawyer they were like no be a pharmacist you know <laughs> like also just suggesting to a kid and being like limit your dreams to being a pharmacist i think that's so hilarious you know like it was like it was like be ambitious but also kind of like try and coast take it easy like like go becoming a doctor or a lawyer takes like 8 years minimum you know, but like a pharmacist, a college education will just give you a pharmacy like degree. And pharmacists get paid really well. They get they get paid a lot of money. Really? Like I see I see different generations, for instance, the generation of my mom. And I see that generation, no matter where you go in the world, they were all studying the same shit. Like it was mm-hmm. all the same. Like mm-hmm. uh, I hear about someone in London that the mother studied the same thing as my mom in Argentina. So it's like, oh, so it's basically kind of like what it fits for the moment, I guess. Mm-hmm. And and even though you're like, oh no, this is my call, it's not really your call. It's someone else's puts it there, yeah. and you're like just eating it. I don't know. Yeah. Like- yeah. I think that matches thematically with this show and the things we're talking about because. Um, you know, children, it's natural for children to look to their parents, right, for guidance in life. And uh, but it, it also I think uh, there's a difference between setting an example and being a model for your kids versus telling your children to be what who and what you are. And, um, you know, making those terms definitive for a child. I feel like there's a big difference. Um, so I, I want to introduce our first guest, our first student of our first class of K-Drama School podcast. His name is Tobias Hauser, and he's a very funny stand-up comedian. He's originally from Austria, Austria, and he currently lives in Berlin, where he performs stand-up and runs his own show called Prism. The show I talked about this week is Sky Castle. Yes. And, um... I know you watched like like a little bit of the first episode at least, right? Yeah, like, yeah. I had what was to your stop. Experience like? It the subtitles were so bad that I couldn't. Um, I actually had troubles following following the plot because the subtitles were so bad um, that I stopped mm. watching after like twenty minutes. Yeah, my favorite mm-hmm. thing was one of the characters. He called his lawyer, or his lawyer called him, and he says, 
Lawyer Kim. Is that a... <laughs> that's not a thing people do. Is it really? It, well, in Korean, you're never supposed to address somebody by their name if you respect them. You call oh. them by their title. Yeah, like if they're a teacher, you call them teacher. You don't call them Mr. or Mrs. Kim or whatever. I thought it like was the just way they do it in public school. No, that's that's how the language is. And the the subtitles, were you watching it on Viki? I was watching it on, no, it was something else. Rak Rakuten, maybe? Oh, Rakuten, okay. Rakuten yeah. is owned by, well, Rakuten owns Viki, so it's the same. Okay. And Rakuten, like, they, the way that Viki works is, it's fan-generated subtitles. Hmm. So the fans who are watching it will generate their own subtitles based on their understanding or knowing of the Korean language, whatever their ability may be. And then uh, what Vicky does is give them credits. So they don't have to pay a subscription fee or something like that. Oh. It's very, it's very cheap labor yeah. that Vicky is exploiting based on like fan love. But yeah. that might also have something to do with the quality of subtitles. Um, I, yeah, I agree. Like the subtitles on Vicky are, are not the most ideal, but honestly, like, any translation is always going to have its problems yeah, or issues. Yeah, yeah. I also just, I don't know, I, I have a hard time, this is going to sound very ignorant, what I'm about to say. I have a hard time remembering names, and mm. it's, it's even harder for me when they're names that I'm not familiar with. So mm -hmm. every time somebody mentioned, referenced a character, I had no idea who they're talking about. Yeah, it's hard yeah. enough if people are named Susan and Mary, and Monica, but if there are names that I'm not familiar with, it's it's even even harder for me. It's hard for you to remember the name Monica. N yeah, I mean, who's Monica? Which one of them is Monica? That's Monica Geller on Friends. She's easy to remember. But it, pro it would. I mean, it, it takes me usually like half a season before I remember everybody's name. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, this had this had twenty episodes, and I, I I agree, it's hard to remember all the names. But like, because in again in Korean, like people don't really address anybody by names; they address them by title. It's like I just mm. follow along based on title. It's like, oh, so and so is a teacher, so and so is a CEO, so and so is a lawyer, so and so is a doctor, you know. Okay. So and so is mo so and so is mom. They'll say mom a lot, you know. Okay. But then in the subtitles, they'll write out the names. Yeah. Right. So yeah, I, I see the trouble that you're having, but I mean, it's an amazing show. I wish you had watched at least up to the ending because the ending is so like... Is that? But okay. is there a second season? Mm -hmm. No. In a lot of Korean miniseries, they don't have seasons. Um, okay. Yeah. It's just one miniseries and then mm -hmm. that's it. Then episodes see. can run from anywhere between like 10 to 150 <laughs> depending wow. on what kind of what kind of show it is uh but nowadays they have been doing more seasons and that's a very novel concept to korean tv uh so like with netflix and and these other western streaming platforms and the western fandom and western demand they are now offering seasons so Hmm. There are a couple of, there are at least a couple of K dramas with seasons now. Okay. Like one of one of the big ones is Kingdom, yeah. But uh, let me ask you. Yes. Like this Sky Castle is about schooling, 
and it's about it's it's about schooling and education and parental like helicopter parenting over children's education their obsession with kids getting into one of the top three universities which kept coming up over over and over again with the acronym sky as you now know stands for seoul national korea and yonsei and uh like what was like your school experience like in Austria growing up? Um, I I went to school in the town I was born, and then and then for four years, and then I had to go to school in a different town because the towns are so small that there are like there aren't enough students for a middle oh. school in one of the towns. So uh, you have like kids from four different villages going to school in a different in a different town because it's just yeah each of the towns wow. are too small um yeah and then i uh, uh i went to to uh what you would call high school in in a city even not even a not even a village anymore that was exciting i had to i had to board what a city? bus every day it was called schwarz and every time i write that on a because I, I was also i was actually i was born in that because that's in that city because it's uh, there it's a it's got a hospital but every time i write that down birthplace i always write schwanz which is the german word for cock because it's so similar <laughs> to the name of the town the city um yeah and then i went to university uh in innsbruck which is also close by i i never i didn't leave my state uh, during huh. the entire run of my education. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not very exciting. Right. Not a very exciting story. Sorry. I mean, the whole village thing you're talking about is actually familiar to me. I mean, South Korea right now, because of their declining birth rate, they've been shutting down a lot of schools, especially yeah. in more rural areas, like some of these villages that you're talking about. So... Korea has a lot of those outside of the city, like Seoul, Busan, you know, Ulsan even. Outside of these places, um, there are a lot of smaller towns and there's there are no children. So mm. they shut the schools they shut the schools down. And it's actually very sad to see. Yeah. Yeah. I remember also they had to some people were were pushed to go to school earlier than they like they 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 were pushed into like a year earlier just so there were enough enough students for one uh for one school level so they like went wow. yeah they went to school a year earlier than they should have gone so they skipped a grade well they didn't skip any grades they just they just you know instead of going going to school at the age of 6 they went at the age of 5 oh wow yeah so they're they're technically slightly underdeveloped. Yeah. Yeah. For that for that curriculum. Basically. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's hilarious to be like okay, the school is going to shut down if we don't put children then we put like a 3-year-old in there. <laughs> Maybe um, what if, what if it's like one of the kids who's not even born, so his mom has to go <laughs> to school. With the baby in the belly. Yes. She has to carry it, yeah. yeah, into into the class with another a bunch of other six year olds. Yeah, no, I, I love that. Um, so okay, you went to university, and uh, what did you study in college? 
Um, I studied political science and oh. and I did some English, but I I never finished um, my English studies uh, because I'm, I I just don't like reading, and there was too much. There were too many books I had to read, especially there was this whole list of just like, I don't know, 50 books that you have to read for one single course. And I'm like, no, I don't want to, I don't want to read like Emily Dickinson or whatever. And no offense to Emily Dickinson fans. Uh, but yeah, it was just wasn't interesting to me. I liked all the, I like the linguistic stuff and I like, like the uh -huh. cultural stuff that mm -hmm. we learned, but I'm just not a, I'm, I'm, I'm not into, um, fiction that much hmm yeah okay that's so fair I, enough so i never finished that i just did did my my master my master's in political science that's what i did okay so that means you were you were actually pretty smart in school that means you were good because you sound surprised no no i'm not surprised <laughs> i'm just declaring a an op a fact and an observation because most americans don't know that in europe if you are showing promise as an intellectual they will let you proceed and get a master's degree and even a doctorate but if you don't show signs of uh intellectual prowess then they'll be like okay just get your bachelor's and now you're good well actually when i when i went to school we didn't have that bachelor master system yet we just be in in austria mm -hmm. or in in austria germany switzerland probably too all the german speaking countries they only implemented that i don't know maybe 10 50 probably 15 years ago so i started mm -hmm. before they implemented it and i i didn't even have the option of doing a bachelor so like the equivalent of a master's degree was the lowest possible uh, degree that you could get. Yeah. Oh, yeah. so it's kind of like those kids, those five-year-olds being forced to take on a six-year-old curriculum that basically happened to you. Exactly. I was not qualified at all to, to get a master's <laughs> degree, but there was no other option. So I just did right. it. Right. There's no other option. And you get to say, I skipped a grade, right? It's a force of circumstance, but you still get to say that. It's like, oh, you're like six years old and you have a bachelor's degree already. How did that happen? It's like, oh, well, my mother was forced to carry me. Yeah. If, like as a fetus in into womb. school, in her womb. And I was able to f skip all these years. Okay. That's interesting. But like, why did you, why did you attempt to study English literature if you had no interest in it or if you didn't like reading? Um... I don't remember. I think maybe just the expectation was to have more than one degree. Hmm. So I picked one that seemed easy and not like oh. chemistry or math or computer science. Yeah. But then once I had the one master's degree, I was like, I don't need this. Why would I need a second one? That's uh -huh. useless. Yeah. I don't even yeah. need the first one. It's done nothing for me. <laughs> yeah, it's just a piece of paper that helps you get a job, right? Yeah, yeah, basically. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's what's interesting about what you just said is that like, you thought that these STEM, these STEM positions or these STEM majors might have been difficult. And yet you chose English thinking it was easy. And yet there were 50 books to read. And you were like, this is I don't want to do this. I, I I mean, I'm just not good at 
at like sciences at like stem stem stuff um uh-huh so if you read fiction you don't have to get it you right just read it and remember it you just remember what you read but you don't have to understand why why does the apple fall from the tree that's that's physics right onto mm -hmm. someone's head isaac newton's head yeah that's yeah why is that i'm that's so dumb like it's not dumb but it's how dumb does he have to be to not realize what gravity is until an apple falls on his head <laughs> it was a it was a concept that was never established before tobias you know yeah but it's like, like it's like imagine sure the first person to declare that the earth is round it's mm. the same thing it's like before that it was like it was inconceivable that the earth was round that there was even a, a planet called earth it was inconceivable until people began to, scientists began to make this realization yeah but for all all of humanity i mean you can still see things falling to the earth you don't need them to fall on your head to realize oh it's falling down and just see them drop is that is that true that it fell on his head or is that just a myth oh it's probably just a myth i don't know <laughs> it's Who probably knows? a myth that you would you would read in english literature in yes fact, probably yeah yeah and then just what's funny is you know you make newton's uh, discovery of gravity sound so basic and and as if you yourself would have made this discovery yourself not knowing anything about physics did i mean did he know anything about physics i'm sure he didn't go to school for physics because it wasn't a thing back then right so i don't think you need to be uh, educated in physics to discover gravity well, education goes back a, a long time actually yeah but uh, there were there were schools there were teachers and pupils for as long as time but they yeah. taught them like law okay or you don't think they learned math theology. you don't think math was Math wasn't well, invented. They, you don't. Math wasn't. No, math wasn't invented during no. Newton's time. People didn't know how to count, <laughs> how to do the what's the root of sixteen. Do you think people knew what the root of sixteen was? No. What is the root of sixteen? It's four. <laughs> you know, you know some math. Is it? Isn't it, it the square like... root of the square root of of it is four because it's four times four is sixteen, right? Yeah. Yeah I, yeah, I believe it is. It's a, uh, I believe it is. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. Like, what did you, what did you, I mean, they, I don't know, like your mother's a teacher, yes. isn't she? Yeah. She's an educator. What mm -hmm. what grade does she teach? Um, What subject or what do you, what do you mean by grade? Oh, does it go by subject over there? I oh, yeah. Like oh, grade. yeah. No. Okay. It, what subject? She teaches English and <sighs> geography. And oh, wow, that's very different. I think she does like because in Austria, you do you, you, you learn about religion in school. There's like there's no Sunday school or something like that. You just you you taught like religion. It's a subject in school and she does that as well. OK, yeah. And then she also used to be she used to do sports as well, like physical education or what do you call it? Sports. Sports. Yeah, phys ed. Phys ed. Gym. We call it gym. Gym. Um, gym. Yeah, but I mean, now she's. I mean, she's. You know, she's no spring chicken, so she stopped doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
wow, that's so that's such a variety. I know. Your mother yeah. taught a range. She's a versatile woman.、Mm. Wow, English the the subject that you dropped as a university、mm-hmm. student,、uh, and then geography, which is geography. very different, and、yeah. then physical education. Yeah, and religion. What, what, what? And religion. <laughs> yes. Goodness. Yeah. Wow, what a what a versatile. So okay, let me ask you, like, what was、uh, physical education like? Um, it was the worst. It was it was when I hated the most. Like any like I didn't. Yeah, it was it was. I mean, I'm not a very athletic person, and I'm very unflexible.、Um, uh-huh. And I I don't like to sweat, and <laughs> I get out of breath. I lose my breath easily. I don't. I'm not good at keeping my balance.、Um, yeah. <laughs> I I can't do the the things that are required to be good at it, and also, I just you know as a as a little gay boy, I always felt uncomfortable around、mm-hmm. the other boys in the locker room.、Mm. Yeah, so、Why? I I I don't know because because everyone's naked. What if、uh. I was always worried about getting a boner? I mean, I never got one, but I was worried about it. Yeah. And it's which is also why I never took a shower, and everybody thought I was disgusting. I never showered after gym. <laughs> I just put my clothes on. But also, I mean, I, I really, I really didn't put in any effort, so I never, you know, there was no need for me to shower. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, he barely sweats, so、yeah. it doesn't matter. Yeah, I'm like、huh. Prince Andrew. <laughs> I'm not like <laughs> Prince Andrew at all. But he does. Is it Andrew or Edward? He doesn't sweat. He says he doesn't sweat. There are a lot of people actually that don't sweat. It's really fascinating. Like people say that Koreans don't sweat. That's not true. Like they say Koreans don't have smelly armpits. That's not true.、Uh, there are some Koreans who. There are some people, in fact, there are some people who don't really sweat very much.、Yes. It's like a genetic thing. There are some people well, whose armpits don't smell because they don't really collect bacteria down there. It's fascinating. I unfortunately don't have that gene. I wish、mm. I did, but it's a genetic thing. Do you know Hillary Clinton doesn't sweat? What? It's a thing. Yeah, it's a, a thing. I remember from I don't know from when she was if it was two thousand sixteen or two thousand eight, but she said、um, or people said she doesn't sweat. So debating isn't isn't that tough for her because unlike everyone else who's Under the limelight of the TV stage, they're all really sweaty, but she doesn't sweat. Like she doesn't. It just、wow. doesn't happen. Well,、yeah. good for her. Good for her for、yeah. not looking all oily and greasy and shiny just, on screen. You know, one more, one more、uh, thing to prove that she's not human. Maybe. <laughs> Perhaps that that may be true. Yeah. Well, okay. What did you want to? Like be when you grew up, like when you were a child. What was your dream? When I was a child, I wanted to be a priest. <laughs> Why? I think because, I mean, I didn't know that I didn't. I mean, I lived. I grew up in a village. There weren't that many professions for me to witness. So I knew there was a priest. You could be a priest. You could be a teacher. Um, you could work in a store. And I think maybe I, also, I I thought the idea of sex was so disgusting to me that I、huh. actually enjoyed like I I, the, I liked the idea of celibacy of being celibate of like Catholic、huh. priest who's not allowed to have sex. It was kind of that was actually 
yeah, that was a, 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 a good thing about the, about that job. That was the me. attraction. Yeah. The celibacy was the attraction. Yes. Yes. Fascinating. Why was sex disgusting to you? Because I, because, I mean, because I was raised Catholic. So I think that just made me hate my own body and sex and the idea of, of hmm. like, yeah, just, you know, a, instilled a deep sense of shame in me about the topic of sex and like every orgasm is like, ugh, it's, I have to take a shower afterwards because it's so, <laughs> I feel so dirty. Do you, you don't have that? Feel sinful. Um, well, I wasn't raised Catholic. I was raised Protestant. Mm. And um, yeah, pro there is Protestant Christian repression, of course. But I don't know. Um, like when I lost my virginity, I was 18. Um, I actually lost it to a pastor's son. <laughs> oh, is that that song? Is that about you? D what the the song, song? the who is the son of a preacher man? <laughs> who sang that song? I don't remember, but maybe so. Uh, yeah, he was. Um, he was actually okay. So when I was like fifteen, I dated this kid, and yeah, we were very much in love. And then I. I only realized this recently, like 15 years later, I re realized this, that I have deep self-loathing and this might be a associated with the Protestant mm. Christian repression. I had deep self-loathing and whenever anybody shows me pure, unconditional love, I get disgusted by yeah. that. And so I broke his heart. I broke up with him mm. and then I started dating his best friend, which I know, mm -hmm. and his best friend happened happened to be the son of a preacher man oh. and and then i went and had sex with him for the first time which can you imagine what it what it must have done to this poor kid who loved me so purely well did like, you tell him did he know i didn't tell him and i begged the guy that i was with not to tell mm. him and then like a week later, the piece of shit told him. And I was like, why? Why would you do that? Yeah. I, it's something I asked you not to do. And he was like, well, he's my friend. I was like, what, do you tell your friends everything? He's like, yeah. Like, that's a, that's big news. I was like, yeah, but I'm his ex-girlfriend. Like, yeah. you know? It reminds me. So I I once, I, I, I oh, sorry. I, did I interrupt you? No, no. Okay. I had sex with the ex of a friend of mine. Um, wow. and the ex was like, you can't tell, you can't tell my ex Like he's not allowed yeah. to know. And then I like, yeah. I met, I met up with my friend like a day later and oh. I had to lie to him about it. Cause he knew we met up. He knew we like met yeah. and, uh, just, like for dinner, he didn't know we had sex, but I had to like, he asked me specifically, did you have sex with my ex? And I had to tell him like, no, I didn't. Of course not. And then his ex <laughs> told him like a month later. So I was not only the guy who fucked his ex, I also was the guy who lied to his face about it. <laughs> yeah. And and those two are still friends and you're friends with neither of them. Well, I'm 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 in touch with one of them sometimes, uh, with my original friend. His ex is now kind of Instagram famous, so I can't mention any names. Uh yeah, he's like uh <laughs> 
he's like he's like I don't know he's got a few hundred thousand probably followers yeah is he is he Instagram famous in that little town in Austria no that doesn't even have a hundred thousand people let alone a hundred thousand Instagram users okay well, good for him also um, they were American so it, everything it happened in New York wait I shouldn't now I've I've said too wow. much. I've said too much. There are definitely more than a hundred thousand people yeah. in New York. Yeah. Goodness, that's you. You like Americans? You tend to bone a lot of Americans. I mean, it was in New trend. York. Who else would I have boned, other than Americans? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it came up frequently. You were like, oh, um, like you were you were on the road and. Weren't you on the hmm. like, weren't you doing like a road trip in America with a an American ex or a boyfriend at the time? No, but I did meet do, during my road trip at every stop of my road trip I met up with <laughs> somebody I had sex with at some point. <laughs> and that wouldn't that wouldn't force you into taking a hot shower afterwards and I, you know, I praying had, with your rosaries. I had sex with it at some point. I didn't say I had sex with them at during the road trip because I had no shower. So, I, you know, I was just in a car. You know what's so funny about calling, calling like you know, eating the that fruit, the fruit of knowledge of good and evil. Like, yeah, <laughs> calling it, calling it evil. I found so ironic because it's like, um they have knowledge of what is good and what is evil. So they're hmm. attaining mora morality. Why is that so sinful is my hmm. question. Right. I've never thought about it. I just, the only thing and I yet remember you wanted about to that be a story, priest. Yeah. But the uh -huh. only thing I remember about that story is that apparently the theory is that it wasn't an apple at all. It was a tomato and it got lost in translation. <laughs> A tomato? Are you kidding me? Why not? The Italians would be freaking out right now, knowing that everything they make is made with the the fruit that caused original sin. I mean, also, wouldn't that be a shock yeah. to their system? I think that theory doesn't make any sense because tomatoes don't come from the Middle East, right? They come from the Americas. Also, they don't grow on trees. They grow on yeah, like these on a weak vines. <laughs> Well, you can still, I don't know. Maybe I'm also just confusing it because there's a German word for tomato, which means paradise apple. So maybe I'm just, I'm just confused. Oh, really? It. Yeah. They call it a paradise apple? Yeah, that's, that's one of the words for it. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. I love that. Hmm. You know, I, I took only one semester of German when I was a freshman in college. And um, all I learned how to say was... Das ist ein Schönbaum. That's not even and correct, but okay. Exactly. How do you say it? How do you say it? The conjugation was the correct conjugation. Das ist ein Baum. See? Okay, that's my problem. So I kept saying, das ist ein kalter Bier. And then, mm. and then, like, when I was in Berlin, some, like, the guy I was dating was like, that's actually incorrect. And I was like, all right, well, how, how do you say it? And he was like, das ist ein kaltes Bier. I was yes. like... Okay, thank you. Thank you. I've been saying it incorrectly for almost 10 years. It's really good to know. Nobody corrected me. I even have a Swiss German friend and he never corrected me. He just let me say it and giggled every time I said those things. I think people are, yeah, yeah they're, I don't know why, because German people love to correct people. 
They love to no, correct you No, they don't, actually. But not about the well, language. Well, you do. Like you're... I mean, you're not even true. <laughs> you're technically, you're Austrian. You like to correct not people. Not just technically, I... yes. Germ the Germans that I encountered would never correct me. They would just stare at me, like, without blinking. That's what they would do. Not about, like, not was... about, like, getting, getting the language wrong, but about just facts. I feel like that's, Germans love to do that. They love to be like, actually... Facts. Actually, it was 1979. Right. Actually, it wasn't an apple at all. It was a tomato. It was a tomato. Like it was a paradise <laughs> apple. In fact, I don't even know if that's correct, but that's my, that's how I deduce things based on yeah. the paradise apple thing. Mm, got it. Yeah. Okay. So your dream was to become a preacher, man. Um, yeah. We almost had sex then. That's that's a fact. Oh, wait, no. I almost had sex with your son. That would have happened if you became a preacher. Well, I mean, no, a what? priest can't have what? children. I'm sorry. I'm confusing Protestants and Catholics right now. Protestant also, preachers can have children. Yeah. If I had a if I had a son, he would be like 10 now. I don't think he would be having sex with my son, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, no. No, you're right. That's very you're, inappropriate. It's a weird timeline and a weird fantasy you've got going there well that wasn't a fantasy at all that was just uh, it was called a callback which you would know if uh, you were any good at comedy but uh, since you didn't study comedy in college well okay let me ask you this actually what one is... more thing i did yeah. one of the uh, classes i attended in my english for my english uh, studies was uh the linguistics of humor so i in what? a way, I did go to school uh -huh. for comedy. Yes. I guess you did. Wait, what does that consist of? The linguistics of humor? It it was like it was like about like what what makes a joke fun not not what makes a joke funny, but like what is just the the concepts of when people think something's funny. And there's like a few different concepts. One of them is like if something unexpected happens uh, the other one is if, if, if something, um, if somebody says something that you know is right, but other people don't know it. So like an inside joke kind of thing that doesn't, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be funny, but just the fact that it's an inside joke, that's what makes it funny. Uh, yeah, that's what I mm. remember from it. Oh, that's so interesting. I, I love that. I love things like that. I, I heard this from, um, an old friend she was dating a guy like a doctor guy and uh he told her that when the brain finds something like when you start laughing it's oftentimes because the brain is in a state of like glitch hmm. there's like a glitch that happens in the brain like the brain doesn't understand what's happening and it causes one to like guffaw you know, like when you're like laughing so hysterically, it's something, something so intensely funny. Yeah. It's like the, like something in the brain, like the brain is basically having like a, like a crash moment. It's, it's not understanding or comprehending what's happening and all you can do is laugh hysterically. And so I think that's sort of the key into like absurd humor, hmm. right? like absurdist humor. You know, hmm. and I was like, oh, that's so, so interesting. I love that. I love like learning about things like that. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's not, it's not fun if you want to be an audience member, but I mean. <laughs> to deconstruct, okay. deconstruct everything you said on stage. 
Okay, you made uh, Linzer's, Linzer cookies for uh, Julieta the other day. So. No, I made them for myself, and she she was allowed to eat one. Yeah. She only ate, did she uh, leave some leftover on the plate? She did, yes. And then my cat came and licked off the sugar, the icing <laughs> sugar. Yeah. <laughs> That's cute. Yeah, Julieta does that. She never finishes anything on her plate. It makes me so mad. <laughs> Because she's always, she's always like, oh no, give me a little more, give me a little more. And then she, of course she, that bit that she wanted more, it remains on her plate. And then I have less <laughs> food to eat because she wanted to have more that she didn't actually consume. Well, why don't you do the good parent thing and say, I, you will not get more until you finish what's off. Yeah. Until you finish what's on your plate. Like, you think that's infuriating. We went to Palma together and on that island that we were at, there was no, like, drinking water was very, very sacred. Like, all the tap mm. water was disgusting because there are too many tourists there, very compounded, and so their plumbing is awful. So you're not allowed to eat their, like, drink their water because it's contaminated. So we had to buy water and this girl would... <laughs> She would leave like half a bottle full and then open up a new bottle. And she did this like three or four times. Oh. And then it was driving me insane yeah. uh, because when she picked me, like when she met me at the airport, she was like, do you want some water? I was like, yeah, I'm a little thirsty. And she gave me some water. I was like, where'd you get this? And she's like, I just got it from the bathroom. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, are we allowed to drink the water here? She's like, yeah, I drank it before. <laughs> And then the next day we go to the restaurant and then we were like, can we just, they were like, what kind of water do you want sparkling or uh, flat? And we we're like, let's just get some tap water. And he was like, you were drinking tap water. <laughs> we we're like, yeah. He's like, no, you should never drink the tap water here. It's really bad for you. And I, I was in such a state of shock and di dismay and anger. And then we went and buy, we went and bought water and then she was doing this. Opening yeah. Up three bottles and not drinking all of it. It's, yeah. Do you think it's because she forgets that there's something in the other bottle or she just doesn't want it once it's been, once it's sort of been broken into and then left standing? I mean, who knows? Who knows the reasoning? Um, I, I don't know. That would be a, that would be a Julieta question. Uh, mm. But I mean, besides that, she's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think she's really great. You guys saw a movie together. Uh, yeah, we watched. See, my memory is really bad. Um, we watched two movies, and I don't remember which ones they were. But I had to convince her because she wanted to watch, um, like some some you know like like some. She's into shit like hot tub time machine, um, <laughs> so like. Badly rated, highly sexist, and highly homophobic <laughs> comedies from the like two thousands. That's the kind of shit she's into. And then I forced her to watch a horror movie, and she actually liked it. Uh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, we watched. Uh, Fascinating. I I I can't, I can't remember. It doesn't matter. Let me then ask you some like flashcard questions. Yeah, you better edit this together. This has been going on for so long. How about you don't tell me how to do my fucking job <laughs> on my fucking podcast and you just relax and enjoy your fucking self. A, fl a flashcard question would be like, let's say you are the mother 
the protagonist on on Sky Castle, and uh, you you find out that your husband has a child born out of wedlock with another woman, and they have a daughter, but he doesn't know that he has a daughter. Okay, like he he never knew about this daughter, and uh, that daughter is the rival and nemesis of your daughter. I gotta In write fact, this down. This <laughs> is like a fucking math question. In fact, this this born out of wedlock child, this quote unquote illegitimate child, is smarter than your daughter. Uh, she's way smarter. She does better in school than your daughter. Meanwhile, your daughter is costing you millions out of pocket, millions of millions of dollars out of pocket for tutoring expenses. Just right? for tutoring. Just for the tut, not for school, just for tutoring alone. Okay. How would you react when you find out about this? Wait, I'm the dad. No, you're the mother. How? Oh, but what? How does? I don't know that I have an illegitimate daughter. You don't know that your husband has an illegitimate. Oh. I mean, no. You find out. You find out that your husband has an illegitimate daughter, and but she's your better husband than my doesn't own. know. She's better than your own. Okay. Um. What would I do? Just I would first of all I would uh, I would curse myself for giving birth to a human to begin with. It's kind of her own fault. I mean, I you know, you're having kids. You've got it. You've got everything coming. You've got a big storm coming. It's, <laughs> um, but yeah. But what I can I? What do I have options? Can I murder murder the other one? Can I? Oh. Or can I murder my own yeah. child and then pretend I want to murder my own child and then pretend that my <laughs> that the other one, my husband's illegitimate daughter, is my own. Um, we would oh, have to move somewhere else where people also don't know us, obviously. Because okay. uh -huh. presumably people have seen my daughter and they know she doesn't look like the other one. Um, All right. But yeah, maybe uh, is, is that a reasonable option? Yeah. So you would kill off your daughter knowing that she's a dumb inferior to bitch. Yeah. She's she's <laughs> okay. All right. So you would murder your child. Okay. If it's a That's stupid good. child, I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, she's not stupid. She's very ambitious and driven. She just happens to be ranked number two. And this illegitimate child happens to be ranked number one. In fact, in the show, uh, the the illegitimate child gets killed. Hmm. Hmm. Really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it was really close to what I was going to propose. But I mean, she didn't get killed for that reason, probably. She did get killed for that reason. Because oh, the illegitimate God. daughter was threatening to to uh de like dethrone the or this quote unquote legitimate daughter hmm. and re reveal to the to the father that she's the child the of uh, the love child of his ex-girlfriend she was going to reveal it and oh. <clears throat> she was going to go into medical school and follow after his footsteps when all of that that was the this legitimate daughter's dream that's why she was so fucking okay. driven and she wanted to be third generation of daughter yeah but yeah, the illegitimate child, quote unquote, gets killed hmm. off, and yeah, it was infuriating for me actually. I really liked that character a lot. So yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Say love you. 
let's say uh let's say your husband let's say you're the husband mm -hmm. of the woman so in the first episode the reason why i say in the pilot episode it's like so it was so like ghastly and shocking is because the the woman a rich mother a rich wealthy mother with a doctor husband and a son who just got into medical school mm -hmm. she blows her head off with a shotgun out in the middle of the field in a snow and it's very dramatic all right so let's say you're the husband of the woman who blows her head off with your shotgun because mm -hmm. your son ra because your son ran away from home Mm -hmm. and basically said he, he wants nothing to do with you and your husband. What what what, what do you think you would do? Uh, first of all, uh, kudos to my wife for choosing such beautiful scenery to kill herself in. Uh, I enjoy <laughs> I enjoy that uh, that uh, drama. Um, that's it's like it's like a Kill Bill situation when you know Uma Thurman kills uh, uh, Lucy Liu. There, have you seen Kill Bill? Huh. They're in the they're in the snow. Of course, in the snow, and then yeah. there's blood better over the red oh, yeah. blood better over the white snow. It's it's beautiful. Uh, a good. It, it is beautiful. Aesthetic yeah. choice. Um, what would I do again? Uh, blame myself for marrying somebody uh, would be <laughs> seems like a reasonable option. Uh, just don't do it. Don't don't get married. Don't have kids. Uh, then you can't have dumb kids and you can't have, um, you know, wives. Why did she do it again? Because, oh, the son ran away. Yeah. So once again, it's the children who are the fault. Mm -hmm. Just don't procreate. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Just live alone or with your cat. Yeah. Eat, eat your own cookies. Um, <laughs> don't share your cookies except with your cat as well. So let's say you're at the house of a of a of a neighbor and um all the other neighborhood families are gathered there and you're one of the wives you're one of the housewives and you all go into the kitchen with the other mothers and you start plating desserts something that you love to do and then you get into an argument with one of the mothers and her reaction is pouring maple syrup down your face how would you react thank you <laughs> I mean, maple syrup is delicious. It's <laughs> what a what a weird way to punish someone. That's like that, that's like I, I, that's like a, a if you're if you're a, a sub in a relationship and you want your dom to to punish you, quote unquote. <laughs> so you're like provoking him so he'll slap you, but you're actually really into that into the slapping. Um, it's not really a punishment. I mean. If it had been hot boiling fat, I maybe <laughs> I wouldn't really enjoy it, or like a you know like a, a roux or or a, a caramel or a brown butter. Um, but yeah, what kind of yeah was she wearing an expensive dress? Why was this supposed to be? Yeah, her hair was all made up. Hmm. Her face made up. Her, she was wearing a dress. She was wearing jewelry. She's they're at a, a party, a house party. You know, she's all decked out. There are a lot of people there. So everybody saw. It's humiliating. Well, the mothers saw hmm. the mothers that were in the kitchen. Hmm. Like one other mother saw. You know, I mean, um, okay. So this wouldn't phase you at all, is what you're saying. I'm actually. I wish that happened to me, and I'm not only just <laughs> not just because I like maple syrup. It also sounds kind of sexy. <laughs> 
I may have a new fetish. Yeah, this would have been a turn on for you. Okay. And, you know, the interesting thing is like about 80, more than 80% of Korean television series and dramas are written by women. Oh, wow. The majority of them, like 99% of them are directed by Hmm. men. So there's this really interesting uh, industry, like gendered industry standard yeah. that exists in Korea. Why it's do you think? Why do you think so? I mean, I sh- shouldn't be asking it like that because you know it shouldn't be unusual, but it's just it's not the standard. Why do you think so many, so many of them are written by women? Do you think there's a reason? I think you know some of the reasons are very typical, like just this notion that television is like a women's women's medium it's you know it's a television is a domestic part of the house is like lynn spiegel this uh, historian uh, film scholar tv scholar writes about this um like how tv became part of the home furniture so people had to sort of like arrange their interior around the television like a hearth and uh the television programming and scheduling all of that sort of um, try to match the rhythm of a domestic uh, homemaker, a woman. And so television's always been gendered as female, including television programming. And when it comes to daytime drama or, you know, any kind of any kind of dramas that are soaps, you know, like soaps, it's even the word soap, the soap opera, like reason why it's called soaps is because women do laundry with soaps, hmm. you know? So it's like while they're doing laundry, they watch television to pass the time, that kind of thing. And so, um, yeah, like it, because it was gendered female always, they I think the Korean TV industry sort of really uh, took that literally and and went ahead. But when it comes to the hard, the the so-called hard labor of film and TV production, yeah. right, like directing they tend to exclude women more often than not. Mm. And they, you know, they say directing is a man's job, you know, like in that sense, it's very patriarchal and misogynist, but yeah. You really did go to school for this. Yes, I did. I I did indeed. Some of it is um, actually just me riffing kind of like you with the tomato (laughs) and uh, the paradise apple. the paradise apple and the butter. Some of it is a little bit of that, but it's, um, it's context clues kind of thing. Okay. So, okay. All right. Then one final question, um, of this flashcard series, let's say a friend and a fellow mother at sky castle is annoying the Jesus out of you. Mm-hmm. So you talk back, like you shut her down, you tell her off and then you walk away and then she calls your name and you turn around and as soon as you turn around, she kicks like a high kick right into your face. And her foot is close enough to touch your face, but it's not. It's like this close. And she 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 measured it and oh my timed it and angled it in a way that it's like 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 perfectly about to kick you in the face, but doesn't quite touch you. What do you do? Who is that woman she sounds fantastic is that <laughs> who's is is that christine baronsky i don't know why christine baronsky <laughs> is the person i think of when i think of a a woman in her middle age but still being very nimble and being able to do high kicks i don't know why um 
but yeah, I ask her for some yoga lessons or whatever she does. <laughs> it sounds, it sounds, that's very good. It's got it going on. Right. Yeah. 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 That wouldn't offend you or scare you. That would I just, mean, you would be in awe. Yeah. How could you be mad at that? It's so skillful. <laughs> and she didn't, you know, she didn't, she missed. Oh, she, she didn't miss. She, she, she meant to miss. So she didn't actually hurt me. Yeah. She, it was a warning. It was yeah. just a warning to be like, don't mess with me. Because look at what I could kick your ass. What kind yeah, of shoes kind of was she wearing? Sneakers. Uh, oh, it's less, less impressive. <laughs> I thought she was in Oh, I should have been heels. Yes. <laughs> of course. I could do that in sneakers. Come on. Okay. You're right. You're right. Okay. So there should have been some lessons from drag queens there yes. to do high kicks and heels. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. There's something about sitcoms that's very comforting that you could keep returning to them over and hmm. over again. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you think that is? You're the expert. You tell me. Well, I mean, I may be, but my expertise doesn't matter because I'm asking you. Like, why do you, why do you keep returning to the Golden Girls? I think it's, it's like, there's some predictability. And even if you hadn't seen the, the show, you could, you can always tell like what the rhythm of each episode is going to be when the jokes are coming in. Um, uh -huh. It's just, and, and I think predictability or stuff that we're that we know and familiarity that's very comforting that's why like when we mm. need comfort food we eat mm -hmm. the foods from my from our childhood we don't like try a new recipe to comfort us mm -hmm. we have our you know mac and cheese or whatever it is yeah oh i really like that it was deep mm. you're welcome Okay, well, now you ruined it by <laughs> being a turd, being a prick. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. All right. Well, this is great talking to you. Yeah, it was, it was good and, seeing uh, you. It's been a while. It has been a while. And hopefully um, I'll be able to return to Berlin soon because I miss all of you. Uh, but yeah, I'll see you around yeah. elsewhere. Yeah. I'll be in touch. So next week, we're going to be talking about everybody's favorite show, The Goblin. It's also known as Guardian, The Great and Lonely God, or Tokebi in Korean. It was a huge hit, huge hit back in 2016 into early 2017. And it, it will, like I said, it will contain spoilers. So please be sure to watch it in advance so you can follow along. I believe it's playing on Viki. If you're living in the U.S. territories, it's playing on Viki. And please follow our podcast at K-Drama School on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok for announcements and updates. Please subscribe to K-Drama School on our YouTube channel and visit kdramaschool.com for more information. If you want to submit questions, please email them to kdramaschool at gmail.com. And I thank you for your support. Bye.